my. It's beautiful up here, isn't it? I uh, used to come up here as a kid with my family, and then I would bring my family up to visit. You know, this place is my church. I mean, my, my parents, they feel the same way about organized religion as I do. You know, they made a conscious decision to protect me from the hypocrisy that they grew up with. I just never made any sense to me that all these people who say they follow Jesus, they don't act anything like him. So, Jesus, I mean, that's, that's a superhero. I mean, walking on water, turning water into wine, good party trick. I think he can fly, actually. That's in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, and of course, you know, the big one. He was raised from the dead, so surprised Marvel hasn't uh, filed a lawsuit yet. Well, on this Easter Sunday, I'm uh, <laughs> told by some outside forces that I need to go on a spiritual walkabout, I guess. I need to decide if I can believe in a God that will let the world turn out this way. Let my world turn out this way. Sorry. <laughs> I'll uh, maybe see you up the trail. Have a good day. So maybe you've been there. You've felt that same way. You're here because of familial peer pressure. And we want you to know that you're welcome. It's okay to have doubts and struggles. In fact, many of us in this room, we're skeptics. And in many ways, what I want to do today is, is talk about how we can believe that Jesus is alive and why that matters. And you might be here with, with doubts and skepticism and, and so I'm going to actually kind of walk through some evidence that might speak to those of us who are more analytical, those who use the left brain. Any of you in the house? Raise your hand, left brain people. Okay, I guess we're mostly right brain people. And I'll speak to the relational evidence that we can look at. But I want you to know that Today, I want to do something a little bit different and even create the space, a, a, a moment of silence, if you will, that in that space, you can, whether you've walked with God for a long time or you're not even sure about God, just pray something like this. God, show me how real you are. Help me to have an open heart and open mind. Speak to me today. So just in the silence, there in your own heart, would you just pray that? Right now. So Heavenly Father, speak to us today. Open our hearts and minds. Show us how real you are. Amen. And we today are talking about Jesus is alive. And next week and the week after, we're, we're really kind of tackling some of these bigger doubts and struggles with faith in a, in a hope that it would increase your faith or even help you step across that line of faith. In fact, next week we're doing a, a, a message called Science is Real. 
And we have Dr. Fuzz Rana, a guest speaker who was a Muslim turned scientist, skeptic, who actually, because of what he studied in science, came to believe in God. And the week after that, I'll be doing a Q&A. And as you heard, you can start sending your questions through the Gateway app. Send all your hard ones. And what I wanted you to know is the next two weeks, originally we were going to call the series, Is Christians Dumb? But I wasn't sure if everybody would get that driving down the street and just assume, yeah, they are. They don't even know grammar, right? (laughs) But actually, that's why these are in your seat uh, or the seat next to you. Take this with you and invite a friend or family member to come next week and the week after. But I want to give you a few of the reasons that we celebrate Easter. And I need to start with something that's most important, is realizing that God is not only real, he's created you on purpose and for a purpose. That he desires to have a relationship with you, a love relationship. That he remains hidden, not forcing himself on you and me, yet wooing us, pursuing us in subtle ways. But ultimately, Easter is a demonstration in history of how much your creator loves you. The links he's willing to go to show you He wants a relationship with you. But can you really prove God's existence? I mean, not in terms of scientific proof. Like scientific proof requires like repeatable experiments, which you can't do with repeatable experiments where where you find God at the bottom of the test tube nine out of 10 times. But that doesn't mean it cannot be proven in a more legal, historical method like we use in a court of law. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And we do this all the time. There are are things that we cannot prove scientifically, but it doesn't mean they're not real. For example, how do we know dinosaurs existed? You can't scientifically prove these mammoth, mythical-looking creatures existed by a repeatable experiment to produce them. But you can look at the historical evidence, fossil evidence left in history. In fact, do you know that scientists know what some of these dinosaurs ate because they found fossilized dinosaur poop? Did you know that? Could you imagine if that was your job? You were a a, a pooologist? Or I think the scientific term is actually paleontologist, I think is what it is. Say you're at a party, someone asks you what you do. I'm a paleontologist. That's a real party crasher, right? The only thing worse is I'm a pastor. That really takes it down a notch. There's lots of evidence for dinosaurs, and you can come up with a million reasons that they don't exist, but there's enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that they're real. Very smart minds have actually found the same to be true for God. There's great evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, not beyond any doubt. Faith is still required. But the rule of legal evidence is to take an eyewitness at his or her word unless they're shown to be unreliable. Now, the last several weeks leading up to Easter, we did a series called Outlaws. And in that series, we looked at prophets who are actually foretelling the coming of the Messiah. We see in the scriptures, God foretold the first Easter. He foretold where the Messiah would come. He foretold when the Messiah would come. In fact, what's remarkable is the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and scientists with radiocarbon dating have seen scrolls that predated Jesus who fulfilled these prophecies. There's a timeline in Daniel written about 500 years before Jesus 
clearly spelling out that the Messiah would come to Jerusalem in A.D. 26, that he would be killed and the temple in Jerusalem destroyed. It all happened in real history. There are even many accounts outside of the Bible about Jesus being a real historical person. One of them, the Jewish Talmud, records why the religious power brokers didn't like him calling out their hypocrisy, but they couldn't deny his miracles, so they record this. On the eve of Passover, they hung Jesus of Nazareth for sorcery and leading Israel astray. Unable to describe why or the power behind this miracle worker, they refer to it as sorcery. But God also foretold why and how the Messiah would die. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah was writing in Isaiah 53 about that first Easter weekend. But the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. They drove nails into his hands and feet on the cross. And eyewitnesses say he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Isaiah continues, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the wrongs of us all. He was cut off from the land of the living. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, the resurrection, and be satisfied. Why would God walk among us and then willingly die? Well, the remarkable thing is that we see that in every religious context, there seems to be a, a common understanding of what's right and what's wrong. The Hebrew scriptures tell us that God imprints this on our hearts. And yet, even when we know what is wrong, we still, for some reason, find ourselves doing that. You see, all of us turn away from God. We all seek our own will and ways more than God's loving will and ways. That's why the world is such a mess. We try to play God, trying to control everything and everyone to do our way when God wants us to trust that what he wants for us is best. Not just our best, but everybody's best. His invitation is that we return to him like children who have run away. That we might discover his love for us. 1 Peter 3 tells us, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Jesus made a way for God to be just and still forgive us and take us back home by personally paying the debt that we owed. That was the path to regaining a relationship with God. Now, there's also medical evidence that this is true. There have been claims and rumors throughout history that, that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He, he, he just was unconscious and ended up waking up in the tomb and pushing the stone away on his own. But there is actually a doctor and many others who have studied this. But in particular, Dr. Alexander Metherell was a research scientist at the University of California. And he studied Roman crucifixion. And what he discovered is that actually most that were going to be executed by crucifixion actually died before the crucifixion ever happened. They died during the 40 lashes. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was beaten with lashes filled with bone and metal that tore the skin off his back. 
eyewitnesses saying that Jesus couldn't even carry the cross up the hill. Dr. Methrell writes, even before he died, and this is important too, the hypovolemic shock would have caused a sustained rapid heart rate that would have contributed to heart failure, resulting in the collection of fluid in the membrane around the heart called a pericardial effusion. Now, why is that important? Well, Psalm 22, which was written 1,000 years before Jesus hung on the cross, God foretold what would happen to the Messiah. You can hear the words that Jesus said on the cross. He was beginning to quote Psalm 22, but not having the energy to continue. And those around who knew the Psalms knew exactly what he was pointing to. The Psalm reads, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? My life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. The psalmist writing 1,000 years before Jesus is describing his crucifixion. Crucifixion did not even exist until the Roman government invented it as a form of capital punishment. But there, the Messiah, Jesus, hanging, his bones were out of joint. And the psalmist says, my heart is like wax melting within me. Now normally, those who are being executed on, the, on a cross died from asphyxiation. It was incredibly difficult to get enough oxygen so they would have to push up to breathe. And that's why Roman guards would come and break their legs to expedite death. Unable to push up, they would suffocate. But Jesus died of heart failure. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? In that moment, he experienced all of the evils of humanity. And it caused his heart to fail. His heart to break. Amazingly, John, eyewitness of Jesus' death, writes this. John 19, the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. Dr. Methril explains that John reported the medical evidence of heart failure. But how could he know? Modern science had not yet been invented. He writes, the spear apparently went through the right lung into the heart. So when the spear was pulled out, some fluid, the pericardial effusion and the pleural effusion came out. This would have the appearance of a clear fluid like water followed by a large volume of blood as the eyewitness John described in his gospel. Another doctor writing in the Journal of the American Medical Association writes this. His name is William Edwards. Clearly the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. And yet more evidence. The missing body. 
Jesus' closest followers claim that he appeared to them, and not like a zombie, but risen to life in power and glory. The scriptures tell us that he appeared to women first, then his 11 disciples, then over 40 days to over 500 eyewitnesses all at once. Now, if the body wasn't missing, the Romans who crucified Jesus, all they had to do is produce a body. But there was no body. The tomb was empty. I once had someone ask me, well, I I want extra biblical evidence. I I want to read of someone who saw Jesus alive outside of the scriptures, someone who didn't believe. Well, here's the problem with that. If you saw a man who had been crucified alive, you end up believing. And so in the process, what was really remarkable, maybe even something kind of stronger evidence, so to speak, is that Jesus revealed himself first to women. This was at a time in history when women couldn't even testify in court in Roman or Jewish society. Their testimony did not count. And yet Jesus chose to reveal himself alive first to the women who followed him. Now the men who wrote this, why would they make this up? There would be no reason. It would be like discrediting their story. The only reason to write is if it was true. Because in the story, they look like scaredy cats. The men were nowhere to be found. Only the women had the courage to come back to the tomb. It's a great reminder, too, that the God of Easter dignifies and honors those the world oppresses or calls worthless. He lifts up the poor, the downcast, the forgotten. And even in that first Easter, he does this for women everywhere. Another source of evidence is the changed lives. Even more compelling, perhaps, the 27 books of the New Testament are full of eyewitness testimony, people who experienced a risen Savior whose lives were changed. One of the more interesting is James. James' mother and father were Joseph and Mary. He was a half-brother to Jesus. Could you imagine what a difficult life that must be? The younger brother of Jesus? The one who was always perfect? Who lived up beyond mom and dad's expectations? Well, the scriptures tell us that James was not a fan of Jesus. In fact, Along with his other brothers, they would try to get him to stop teaching and stop proclaiming who he was. They were embarrassed by him, but something remarkable happened. James saw his brother who had been crucified alive. James became a follower of Jesus, became a leader in the early church, suffered persecution for 30 years before finally unwilling to recant that he had seen Jesus alive, was killed for his faith. One of the first martyrs. Now, people don't die for a a known lie. It's not worth it. After his death, Jesus' disciples continued to proclaim him as the Messiah, worshiping him as God, and claiming that he had appeared to them risen from the dead. In fact, for the next 16 to 80 years after his death, vast numbers of followers were willing to die proclaiming that Jesus was alive. They were not motivated by power or wealth, but love, willingly persecuted, willingly to suffer, willing to die proclaiming that Jesus was alive. How do we explain that? 
But here's the real story. Oftentimes it has nothing to do with the evidence. There's plenty of evidence for faith if you want to find it. Oftentimes what keeps us from following God is we reject God because he's let us down. When we're hurt, we blame God. And we start looking for evidence from others who are angry with God. When God doesn't do what we hoped or expected, we conclude that he either isn't good or he doesn't love us or he isn't real. And we try to justify in our minds what we actually feel with our heart, hurt, disappointed by God. And so we choose not to trust. come back. It's been over 2,000 years. I mean, that's quite the intermission. It's hard for me to connect with you if I can't see you. I can't hear you. I can't touch you. something I just don't know if it's you or if it's just me I want to believe in heaven I want to believe in you I want to believe that you love us you went you, you, you prepared a place for us see my grandpa in his prime. I want to see you. And I want to see my son again. If you are there, Please, help me understand.
upon a hill you won't mind some things you can't know till you're still in the silence let your spinning thoughts slow down in the stillness things have a way of working myself again I'm the one that knew you before time began I've been waiting for you to let me be your friend everything you ever need is everything I am I am, I am, I am So take your chances There's nothing here to lose Ask a question Promise you the truth as you're ready. I wanna hear your heart. Is it heavy? Where wounds have left a mark. Allow me to introduce myself again.
whatever you've been through, God has been there all along. Easter is God's answer to our pain and suffering. By his wounds, we are healed. He suffers with us. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So when you suffer, when you're in pain, God is not far away. He moves close, wanting to deliver us. But how does he deliver us? I mean, it sure doesn't seem like it. We can't seem to feel him there. What we need to understand is that all people suffer, the good and the bad. But in the midst of suffering, some come out bitter. And some come out better. God enters our suffering to make us better people through it all. And ultimately, God promises to make it all better. This life is the birth canal into real life. After the labor comes the joy. But see, God doesn't force his will in ways. He doesn't force us to love or follow him. And as a result, the consequences are a world at war with God. A, war, a world at war with each other. God has compassion. And so he entered into our greatest suffering that first Easter, taking upon himself all of humanity's evil. But he defeated sin and defeated death, rising from the dead. And he offers us new life and his spirit to guide us when we turn our hearts to him. He goes through the suffering with us to make something good in us and through it. In fact, Jesus is saying today, let me make something new in your life. Now, there's lots of evidence for faith if you want to find it. But for me, one of the most compelling is the lives that Jesus still changes even today. I heard a story this week of a woman who had tragically been sex trafficked in India as a child. As an adult, she made it to the United States and she was despairing and even suicidal when a friend invited her to Gateway North. She heard John Burke on a Sunday encourage the crowd to pray, just as we did earlier in the service. God, if you're real, show me who you are. The Sunday after Christmas, she came running up to John Burke, our senior pastor, saying, I know God is real. Jesus is real. He's alive. He forgives. And he loves me. Finding healing. My first friend, when we moved to Austin eight years ago, was a, a friend named Perry. And Perry started coming to Gateway over the years. And, and just last year, a, a friend of his named Guillaume says to him, you know, Perry, I need to get a new God. And so Perry said, well, come with me to Gateway in South Austin. You'd love it. And he came last year on the first Sunday. We were doing a series called Get a New God. And even that was like, oh, wow, okay, this is for real. He came every week. He started reading the scriptures, praying, God, if you're real, show me who you are. And on the last week, he decided, of that series, he decided to follow Jesus and he got baptized. A, a new friend of mine told me his story recently 
This past fall, he was doing some work with, his, with genealogy, and he grew up in Austin, been his whole life in Austin, and was surprised that so many of his relatives, grandparents, great-grandparents, and beyond were Christ followers, and, and even some of them were pastors. And so he decided to start reading the New Testament, not because he was spiritually seeking, more as a historical exercise. So you can imagine how surprised he was when he would find himself getting emotional, seeing how Jesus would interact with people. It was so different than what he had thought of the religion of Christianity. At one point, he read one verse in particular that struck him to the heart. A simple verse that says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. It was like God was answering the very question he had wondered, why is Jesus so important? And for what felt like an hour, he told me, he sobbed. Well, then he went off to yoga one day and during yoga, they encouraged them to meditate and to empty their mind. And and while he was trying to empty his mind, he had a vision of Jesus. Not, a, not usually what happens, I think, at yoga. I'm not sure. But in the midst of that moment, he has this conversation in his mind, in this vision. And he says to Jesus, where have you been my whole life? And Jesus says, I've been here all along. My friend decided to follow Jesus. And he decided to check out a church because maybe that's what you're supposed to do now. And he walks in right over here through the big garage door and he sees his friends, Perry and Guillaume. And he knew this is what God wanted. This past week I was talking to his wife who's very confused by all of this. This was not the same guy she married. And she said to me though, I am really fascinated by Christianity because if this is true, it's the most important thing in the world. See, why why is it that Easter really matters. I can tell you that God can make himself real to you. It may not be a vision during yoga. It may be in a conversation with a friend or family member. It could be sitting at a chair, reading the scriptures and praying. It could be on a walk in the mountains. God will make himself real to you if you want to see him. And here's why Easter matters. Do you remember the first funeral you attended? For me, I was 10. This for my grandfather, who died at 57. It was the first time I'd ever seen my father cry. And to see my grandfather, who was always so full of life, laying lifeless in a casket, it was just devastating. It was overwhelming. He didn't belong there. He belonged with us. See, Jesus' death and resurrection matters to us because it shows us this life is not all there is. He was the first to be risen from the dead. The casket is not our final resting place. We have hope in a life after death and hope in this life right now. Easter is not just the promise that Jesus rose from the dead, but the promise that all who trust in him will overcome death We'll be with God for all eternity. We'll be those who live in the new heaven and new earth. 
We will be with God for all eternity in a new world where God's loving will and ways are always done because everyone there learned to trust God through the sufferings and evils of this life. Jesus' death and resurrection matters to us because it means when we trust our hearts and lives to Jesus that we are forgiven of all our wrongs, past, present, and even future. And we can learn to forgive others, that we can be those who bring love to this broken world around us. Jesus' death and resurrection matters to us because it means we can defeat sin, that we can live a new life, that his spirit is guiding us. Jesus' death and resurrection matters because it's the price God paid to adopt you as his child. We're like foster kids in middle school. We get the opportunity to decide if we want to be adopted. Will you say yes to him? John 1, Jesus came that to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Hebrew people, the people of God, and now we have the opportunity to be in the same family, children of the king. Because of the resurrection, of Jesus, all God requires is this, to believe and receive so that we might become. To believe, to trust that God fully did reveal himself in the person of Jesus. Just believing facts about God, just believing facts about Jesus, just believing he existed is not enough. It's actually asking God to forgive you, that, that what Jesus did on the cross is what you need for your life, asking him to lead you. It's out of gratitude that we then live new lives for God. We do the right thing out of gratitude, not to get to God. God came to us. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to bring all people from all religious backgrounds into a loving relationship with God. We can fully experience his love, but it requires a relationship. So what keeps you from fully following Jesus? Maybe you're unwilling to listen to others, including God. Or maybe you used to have faith, but then things got hard or life got hard. Or maybe it's because of the hypocrisy and the judgmental mentality of people claiming to be followers of Jesus that has kept you from faith. Or maybe you bought into the charges people have made against faith. What's keeping you from fully following Jesus? Maybe you wandered away. Maybe it's been a few weeks or maybe it's been a few decades. Maybe you've done something you regret and you feel you're unworthy of forgiveness or too proud to admit you need help. Don't let the hypocrisy of others keep you from the life God intends for you. Don't let your past keep you from the future God has for you. Don't let your doubts or your struggles keep you from the one that can help you through your doubts and struggles. See, Jesus is still changing lives and he can change yours. Last Sunday, five of our own adults decided to celebrate what had already happened in their heart by getting baptized. We were at Barton Springs Pool and it was cold. <laughs> but I wanna, I wanna show you a glimpse. Just notice the excitement in their faces. I want us to celebrate with them. Last Sunday, getting baptized, proclaiming a new life in Jesus was Russell. And Christina, Brant, Nicole, 
and Vicky. Isn't that great? And you too can begin a relationship with God. Just believe, receive, so that you might become. Well, I mean, what do you have to lose? You have everything to gain. Just saying, I need you. Forgive me, I wanna follow you. Perhaps that's your next step today to declare this the day of new life. Or maybe to reconnect in a very real way. Or maybe you've been following after Jesus, but you know he's calling you to tr trust him more into new ways of trusting him. Whatever your next step, allow God to help you take that, even starting today. Let me pray for all of us. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you came to rescue us, conquering sin and death, and that you, Jesus, are alive. That your spirit comes to guide us when we surrender our lives to you. God, give us the courage, whatever our next step is, whether it's to surrender our life to you for the first time or to surrender a particular struggle to you or if it's to trust you in a new way. God, whatever that next step is, would you give us the courage to take it? God, the world needs us to become who you created us to be. This world is broken. This world is hurting. Even waking up to the news that people were bombed in Sri Lanka just wanting to worship you. God, this place is not as it is intended to be. And God, I am grateful that you will be with those who are hurting right now, that you have not abandoned us. But God, would you help us live knowing that you're alive, the same power that rose you from the dead lives in us. May we bring your love and your faith and your hope to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And so today, we celebrate Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. We have new life in Jesus. And so I wanna invite you to stand up with us. And we're gonna sing a song. Johnny Cash made it popular and you're gonna make it better. So let's sing this out as a celebration because there's no grave that will hold us back.